Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I, I want to read this little story. It's actually a, a letter, and I'm sure it's fictitious, but it still makes the point that when, when we talk about your words, there, there are a couple of warnings that, that you need to issue. First of all is we need to stay out of the ditches. We, we don't need to become word police and police everybody else's words. Oh, I wouldn't say that. You're making a bad confession. I've lived with, with those kinds of people. It just gets tiresome. You know, I'm not worried about what you say. I'm worried about what I say. And I don't even want to become the word police with me because there, you know, there are times when, when you just, things are metaphors. And you meant it as a metaphor. You didn't mean it literally. We don't have to be literalists about everything in the world. But there's also the other side where, where you do need to take some caution about what you speak and how you speak. Well, the, well, the first scripture we're going to look at in Proverbs connects your words with your relationships. And you can, you can uh, wound or heal with your words. And in fact, usually you're going to do one or the other. There's just hardly any in between. It's, there, there are not a lot of neutral words. You know, uh, I think it was uh, Switzerland was, was famous and during World War II, they were right there in the middle of the European continent, and they stayed neutral the entire time. Well, they would have stayed neutral until Hitler won, and they wouldn't have been neutral anymore because Hitler would have walked right in and said, we're taking over. So neutrality in this age, you know, it's hard to maintain, very hard to maintain. It's, it, life is coming down to it's time to take sides, you know. And, and I'm not talking about natural things. I'm talking about godly things. You're either going to be on God's side or you're going to be on the wrong side. And um, we need to find out what God's side is and, and get there. But at the same time, there's always this old proverb. Um, there's what I think I said versus what I actually said. And then there's what you heard me say versus what actually was said. Because I've had a lot of people tell me that I said things that I knew I didn't say. And I've then gone back and, and listened to what I said, because I have the luxury of these are taped, and I get to go back and, did I really say that? And realize that, well, I didn't say what they thought I said, but I really didn't say what I wanted to say either. Both of us were wrong. So there, you have to make sure in, in all, especially if you get in conflict over words, don't take, don't take a hard and fast stand on things because sometimes what you meant to say wasn't what you actually said and what they heard you say wasn't actually what you actually said. But you can get in, you know, peace is what ought to reign at the all time. This letter kind of illustrates that in a funny way. This is a grandmother um, sending a, a letter to her granddaughter. She says, the other day I went up to our local Christian store and I saw a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker. Well, I was feeling particularly sassy that day because I had just come from a thrilling choir performance followed by a thunderous prayer meeting. So I bought the sticker and put it on my bumper. Boy, am I glad I did. What an uplifting experience that followed. I was stopped at a red light at a very busy intersection, just lost in thought about the Lord and how good he is. And I didn't notice that the light had changed to green. 
It's a good thing someone else loves Jesus because if he hadn't honked, I'd have never noticed. I found out that lots of people love Jesus. While I was sitting there, the guy behind me started honking like crazy, and then he leaned out of his window and screamed, For the love of God, go, go! What an exuberant cheerleader he was for Jesus. Everyone started honking. I just leaned out my window and started waving and smiling at all those loving people. I even honked my horn a few times to share in the love. There must have been a man from Florida back there because I heard him yelling something about a sunny beach. I saw another guy waving in a funny way with only his middle finger stuck up in the air. I asked my young teenage grandson what it meant. He said it was probably a Hawaiian good luck sign or something. Well, I have never met anyone from Hawaii, so I leaned out the window and gave him the good luck sign right back. My grandson burst out laughing why even he was enjoying this religious experience. A couple of people were so caught up in the joy of the moment that they got out of their cars and started walking towards me. I bet they wanted to pray or ask what church I attended, but this is when I noticed the light had changed, so I waved to all my brothers and sisters, grinning, and drove on through the intersection. I noticed that I was the only car that got through the intersection before the light changed again and felt kind of sad that I had to leave them all after all the love we had shared. So I slowed the car down, leaned out the window, and gave them all one last Hawaiian good luck sign as I drove away. So sometimes we may think we understand, but we don't quite understand. And we don't want to, you know, as my son-in-law used to say, there's just lots of people that like to tell me I'm number one when I drive on the highways. But our words are very powerful things, and unfortunately, sometimes our, our gestures represent words, and we need to be careful even about giving, you know, people the Hawaiian good luck sign. But let's go back to Proverbs 18, verse 21. This is the, our anchor scripture. And it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Very, I mean, if, if that wasn't in the, in the scriptures, it would be hard to really say, yes, my words are that important. And, and, and your words about me, you know, the old proverb, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There was never a bigger lie told. Low, words can crush you. Words can do damage that physical blows will never do. I've been hurt worse by words that people speak to me than I ever have been by someone physically attacking me. It's just words are, can, can bring death and life, and I believe death is listed first because as, as fallen creatures, we're much more adept at attacking and bringing death than we are at, at blessing and bringing life. But our words are going to do one or the other. And verse 22, does, it seems a little out of place. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. But that, to me, that's a clue that this, this is dealing a lot with relationships. And we looked at, at Hebrews 11.3. By faith we understand that the worlds or the ages were framed by the word of God so that things which were, are seen were not made of things which are visible. That tells me that the, the ancient um, heroes of faith that Hebrews 11 is going to list 
took the worlds they were in and they framed their lives by a word that God had spoken to them. And that's the key for all of our lives. We have to find out what God is saying to me about right now in my situations. And we looked at Ezekiel 37. I'm not going to go back there. It's the the passage about the, the dry bones. And for Ezekiel, he was prophesying over the nation of Israel, which literally has come come true uh, in the 40s, where the nation of Israel was brought together. And it's 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 a it it is happened, but even in, in Ezekiel's day, when those bones came together, they came together and they took on flesh, they took on skin, but there was no life in them. We're at that stage with Israel today. Israel is a nation, it's a nation called by God, and God has gathered them back into their land. And it is their land. Jerusalem is is God's spot. And if you've ever watched The Big Bang Theory, the the character Sheldon has his spot, and you don't get on his spot. Well, God has a spot. Uh, 1 Kings, I'm not going to go there, 1 Kings 8, 29 um, says that, God spoke and said, speaking of the, where the temple sat, this is where I'm going to manifest my spirit in this earth, this spot. And he claimed it in Jerusalem. And he will not share it with anyone. That is the source of all the conflicts that are going on in the Middle East, is this is mankind is caught up in a battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, over who's going to manifest themselves in this world. And we are just players on that stage. But God used Ezekiel to prophesy what was going to come, and we have the, 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 the bones together today. And when I say they don't have life, I don't mean that they're not real people, that they're not valuable to God. They are. But there's coming a day in the millennial reign when God's going to bring life into that nation, and that nation will be very different during the millennial reign than they are today. They have the form, but they still, by and large, the Jews in in Israel deny Jesus. There are Messianic Jews that live in Israel, but the majority do not put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. That will change, but it's not there yet. But Ezekiel, God gives us the the clues of how we prophesy, because this is exactly what God's called us to do. There's this big debate over whether prophecy is foretelling or foretelling. Well, you can have both. You can explain the Bible and and teach, and that is foretelling. But in our individual lives, when God gives me a word, when we prayed for the sick earlier today, we were not foretelling. We were foretelling. We were taking God's word, this person is healed by my command. And we were agreeing with God's word and we were foretelling their state. We were saying, this is what God's will is and I'm declaring that it is so right now by faith. Whether I see anything or not, whether anything happens immediately or spectacularly or miraculously in their body instantly right now, it doesn't matter, I have his word on it. And I'm foretelling that they're healed. I'm predicting the future. Based on God's Word. It is the same function that, that, that the Old Testament prophets that God did for Ezekiel. He had Ezekiel foretell the regathering of Israel. Well, he has us foretell what God's will is for our lives, and we declare it by faith. Jesus did it to the centurion servant. We read there in, in Matthew 8 earlier when we were praying for the sick. The, 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 the centurion said, you don't have to go into my house and lay hands on this man. I know you have the power. That's not established here. I wouldn't have called for you if I didn't think you could heal him. 
But I don't need you in my house. I, I know your words carry authority. And all you have to do is speak the word and he will be healed. When Jesus spoke the word, the servant was sick. But after Jesus foretold this guy's well, he commanded it. Then it was manifested. That's foretelling. We do that with God's word. But the first key is we have to hear from God for my life, for my individual life. And, and that's exactly what Ezekiel did. Then we looked at, at James because this is what, what we're doing. James 1, 25 and 26. This is talking about believers. Verse 25, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that's the Bible, and continues in it. This isn't a one-time thing. I've said this myself. I've had a lot of people say this to me. I've heard that. I know that. If you can say that about a scripture, about a sermon you hear, heard or are hearing, well, I've heard this. I'm established in this. So what? He who looks, present tense, into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. James, or Peter said, I don't hesitate to remind you of the things you're already established in. We need to constantly, constantly reassert what we already know. Why? The person who looks into it and continues it is not a forgetful hearer. If you, if you, if you think, I got it, and you quit looking into it, you'll forget what you got. And when you forget what you got, you don't got it no more. Well, it's not good English, but you lose it. And the reason we lose it is because we are vessels, but we have holes in our buckets. And it leaks out. We get distracted. We get, we get uh, uh, pulled off purpose. Thing, other, the, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and other things will come in and they will steal the word and it will not bear fruit. So we need to continue and continue and continue so that we're not a forgetful here, but we are a doer of the work. There is a work that is to be done. Remember, Martin Luther, not Martin Luther Jr., but Martin Luther, the German, the reformer, wanted to throw James out of the canon of the Scriptures because he, he emphasized works. There are works to do. But we don't do works to establish our relationship with Jesus. We do works because we are established with Jesus. But we still have a work to do, and this is part of it. We need to keep going on in, into the Word and keep going into the Word and keep going until we know and we know and we know. And once we know it and we got a revelation in it, then we got to keep doing it. I'll, I'll give, relate to your story, and it puzzled me for a long time, and then I finally got it. Brother Hagin used to talk about it, and he never would talk about what the second book was. Maybe he did, and I just forgot. But he said there were two books that he read twice a year, and he had done it for years. One of them was a, a collected work, works by F.F. Um, F. Bosworth called, um, oh, I lost it. It's about healing. And it was, it was sermons that F.F. F. Bosworth had preached, and they had transcribed them because this was before tapes between before records, before um, uh, microphones. And he would preach to huge crowds, and he preached on healing. And this is a man, Brother Hagin, 
who as a teenager had five deadly, any one of the five should have killed him, and yet God raised him up off a sickbed and he lived to, to his mid-80s. Perfect health. And twice a year he read through the same book on healing. Every six months he opened the book, he read it, went through it again, besides studying the Word, the Bible, daily about healing. Why would you do that? You, you should have that book memorized. He did it because that particular book fed what he needed. And so he never got far away from it. There was another book that he read the same way that fed his faith. And he just kept going and kept going. Why? Because he knew if he didn't, he would become a forgetful hearer. We need to find the Bible and then books about the Bible that explain it and, and minister to us and get in them and stay in them. Because when we do that, then we can be here do over the work. Then this one will be blessed in what he does. You have to look into the perfect law of liberty, continue in it, not be a forgetful here, be a doer of the work, then you will be blessed. And verse 26, if anyone, any one of you thinks he's religious but does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. You can do all of those things and just let your tongue go. It'll still be all for naught. And I've had people, I've had people and in, in, I had a family member Bless her darling heart. She just, she never had a thought that did not come out her mouth. Ever. And she hurt people. She condemned herself. She did all kinds of things. Said all kinds of things that hurt others, that hurt herself, and kept her bound up. One of the most fearful people I ever knew. And most of it could be tracked back to the fact that she did not bridle her tongue. She would not exercise any control. Now, there are times when you need to speak plainly, but you know, you can speak plainly and speak bluntly and still speak tactfully. The, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter um, 5, I believe it is, might be the end of 4, talks about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church by, and Christ loved the church by washing the bride with the water of the word. Well, as husbands, as men, we are called to, to wash our brides with the water of the Word. But when you wash someone, you have a choice. You can wash them gently or you can grab a scrub brush. And they'll both get them clean. I was telling somebody, I forget who it was, uh, when Gina and I got married, I had a, a, a 1980 Toyota Supra, cream-colored, oh, I love that car. I had, I, I, there was a love affair that went on between me and that car. It was just beautiful. And, and my dad had bought it for my mom right before she passed away. And, and, and it had special meaning to me because that was my mom's last car, and she loved it. But, but when, he, when they bought it, Dad had spent, I don't know, big bucks to have this permanent wax job put on it. And I mean that thing, it, it was six, seven years old by the time I'm, I'm thinking about. Well, maybe not that old, but it was a couple years old at least. But you could put water on it. It could even be a little dirty. It's still going to bead water. Well, my sister-in-law decided that because Gina and I got married on the 4th of July, and that she decided, well, I'm going to take some liquid shoe polish, and I'm going to ride on it. There'll be uh, fireworks tonight. And she rode all over that car. And, of course, you know, it was, some of the things were a little embarrassing, but she didn't care. 
And so I decided, you know, we weren't too far down the road. I'm going to go through a car wash. I went through the car wash. It didn't touch it. It didn't, it didn't remove it at all. I mean, it hardly even made it lighter. And we, we drove around. We took a two weeks off in the summer because we were both teachers at the time. We went on a two-week honeymoon, and we went and played and had fun, and we came, came back. And it's like, what am I going to do? Well, I went over to my dad's house because we were in an apartment at the time, and I got his hose out, and I started scrubbing, and I could not get that stuff off. And I finally had to go get soft scrub <laughs> and scrub that car with soft scrub to get that stupid shoe polish out of... And it didn't scratch the paint, but it removed all of that permanent wax. Until till that car finally died, years later, it never would bead. You could wax it all day, it wouldn't, it wouldn't bead water. Why? Because I had to scrub it down hard, and it was never the same. My point is, you can wash in a way that will enhance and make, it, make whatever you're washing look better. And, and do better. Or you can wash and scrub and it'll never be the same. It'll never look as good. We need to make sure that our words are washing and helping and making the, the hearer of, the, of the, the, our words better instead of scrubbing them down with a scrub brush and leaving them wounded and bleeding. Amen? All right, let's go to Romans 10, because this is where I really want to focus in on today. Um, this is, we have a key here to, to, to establish our righteousness. God has made us righteous, but how did we get to be righteous, and how do we continue on in our righteousness and expand on our righteousness? Well, Romans 10 deals with this very, very uh, uh, extensively. Romans 10, let's start in verse 1. Brethren, this is Paul talking, and he's talking primarily about the Jews here. He says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Paul said, I'm going to compliment these people. They're zealots. They have a zeal for God, but they don't know beans. Well, as a former teacher, I've, I've met students that way. Man, they've got, they want to learn, they want to learn, they want to learn, and, but they don't know a thing. And it's funny, today, of course, you know, I, I think it was Ed Cole I heard years ago, he said there are, there are sins that go with ages. Sin of youth is lust. Uh, the sin of, of uh, not middle age, but, but early years when you have families is, uh, is um, busyness. The sin of middle age is nonchalance, but the sin of old age is, is arrogance. I know it all. I've seen it all. You can't tell me nothing. And I've met a lot of people like that. God let us keep learning. We can have a zeal, but we also have to, we need to combine that zeal with knowledge. Because if you had a zeal without knowledge, you'll just fly all over the place. It's like if you've ever, you know, it's 4th of July... I don't know about you all, but I didn't get a lot of sleep last night because until midnight, I, my, my windows were rattling. I mean, they were setting off fireworks, but you go out occasionally, you watch these kids have bottle rockets, and literally, it, you stick it, they call them bottle rockets, you put the stick in the, in the bottle, you light it, and it shoots off, and when it goes, you have no idea where that thing's going. It'll generally go where you point it, but it's got a zeal, but you, it, it's just heading wherever. 
you know, chance may take it. That's how a lot of us are. Here's where their knowledge was lacking, verse 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness. Remember, we learned in Ezekiel, the first thing you have to do is hear from God. You have to know God's will. They being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Verse 3 and 4, Paul sets out some boundaries. He says, you cannot establish your own righteousness. You have to accept God's righteousness, and that righteousness only comes by faith. Faith, first of all, in Jesus. Secondly, in Jesus' word, because you can't know about Jesus unless you know Jesus' word. Those two are, are, are one and the same. That's why I believe that the Apostle John identified in the very first chapter of John that Jesus is the Word. He's the Word incarnate. It's not just a title. It's a description. His Word and He are the same. And if we don't know His Word, we don't know Him. That's why it's always funny to me that you know pe- people a lot of times want to quote and say, well, you know, Christian, as a Christian, you believe this, and they'll quote a Bible passage. I had, when, when I got um, to, to quote my friends back then, I became a Bible thumper. I got religion. And I had them all quote the same verse to me. You know, God will help those that help themselves. And I, went, I didn't realize at the time, I went and looked for it. I had a concordance, and I couldn't find that verse anywhere in the Bible. And, but everybody I knew was quoting that verse to me. The problem is that verse, there is no verse in the Bible that says that. But there are a lot of people that don't know the Word, that want to quote the Word, but they, they're quoting what they think the Word says, but they're not intimately acquainted with the Word. And if you're not intimately acquainted with the Word, you may have a zeal, but it's not according to knowledge. But Paul says, here's the boundary. First of all, it's got to be by faith. Verse 5 says, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. You want to establish your own righteousness? It's extremely simple. Live the perfect life. That's it. It's all you have to do. It's the simplest thing in the world. It's impossible to do, but it's simple to do. Just don't ever make a mistake. Don't ever miss the mark. Don't ever sin. Well, sorry, but too late for all of us because we haven't done that. Verse 6 says, But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Notice the first thing he says. The righteousness of faith speaks. You can't tell me you're a person of faith if I don't ever hear you say anything about your faith. If you're a silent Christian, we had a, used to have a saying with the, some guys I ran around with in, in the church I was going to at the time. They said, if it became against the law to be a Christian, would they have any evidence that you were one? Well, if they can't establish evidence and clear-cut evidence that you are a Christian publicly, then I would say you may not be establishing the righteousness of faith because the righteousness of faith speaks. But it speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. Paul gives us two examples, first in the negative, then in the positive, but both of them have the same import. If you're going to speak in in the righteousness of faith, don't try 
to move God. I've been accused. I've heard. I've had you know these word of faith people, and I'm I am a word of faith person. Oh, you're going to boss God around. Well, let me just be not tactful but blunt. If you think you can boss God around, you're just dumb. Dumb to the power of ten. God is God. He doesn't move. There's no shadow of turning. He doesn't change. And you're not going to move Him. Faith does not move God. Now, I've heard a lot of people say over the years, faith moves God. But then you have to ask yourself, and this is where we get into why I told the story at the beginning. What do you mean by what you say? Are you really being clear? When, they, when I hear people say faith moves God, what do they mean by that? Well, if, if you're talking and mean that, that God ex, gets excited when we believe Him and says yes to what we're believing Him for because we're believing Him for something that He's already said, this is my will, then yes, you just moved God. If you're talking about God getting animated and, wow, i got a child here that's actually believing me. And I think he gets animated because I don't know that he sees that a lot. <laughs> Be quite honest with you. He's like a parent whose son finally, at, at some point, accidentally obeys him. And it's like, wow! He, you know, it's like if you've ever gone and watched T-ball and, and, you know, the kids are up there swinging and one of them accidentally hits the ball. Or if they're playing, not t-ball, but they're playing, you know, coach pitch. Sometimes the, the hitting accuracy is not the, 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 the great ability of the kids to swing, but it's the great ability of the coach to anticipate where the bat's going to be. Well, sometimes God gets excited because he sees one of us move. He's up. He's in faith. Oh, I'm getting excited here. Angels, get ready. Get, go do something because he's going to say something in faith and we can move in his behalf and God gets, he moves. But he doesn't change. If you mean that us getting an agreement with him will cause him to change or to, to for, cause things to change, then yes. But if you mean that you can cause God to do something that he's reluctant to do, then no, you're not moving God. God does not change. What, what has to move is not God, but us. We have to get in line with His Word and get our thinking straight so that we can get our mouth straight, so that we can get our lives straight, so that we can walk out His will that He's already said, this is what I want you to do. I, you're, here's where I want you to go. There is a straight line here. But I don't want you going on that straight line because about halfway, well, about a third of the way, there's a bridge out. And if you even can, you know, if you, if you used to watch the Dukes of Hazard, and you believe you can ramp over that and, and make it and not destroy your car. When you get another couple of miles down there, there's, there's so many potholes that it's going to rip out the, the undercarriage of your... Maybe you can dodge all those potholes, but go a little farther and there's a bunch of bandits there and they're well armed. So instead of taking that straight, easy path that you see, I want you to go around about this way and I'm going to give you a detailed plan. And go this way because... On your way, I'm going to give you some supplies that you're going to need when you get there. Knowing God's will is, is figuring out the route He wants me to take. And it may not be the obvious easy one. In fact, usually it's not the obvious easy one. Usually it's, yeah. it's a very winding road that will get you there. I know what that word is, I just cannot say it. And then verse 8. 
He said, don't, don't, don't say this. But verse 8, he says, what does it say? Again, <laughs> Paul makes this so clear. The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. And this is his example. This is how you get into the kingdom. This is how you continue in the kingdom. That if you confess with your mouth, confess isn't just the saying, it means to say the same thing. Figure out the word that's in you, the word that's near you, and in your mouth say the same thing that Jesus said. And if you declare that, that is the word of faith that we preach, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation will be active in your life. And that same salvation that gets you born again will get you healed, will get you prosperous, will get you obeying everything and walking out the righteousness of God in your life. That's why Paul is so, you go to Galatians, Paul is so against uh, uh, legalism because legalism puts up all these big signs and says you will be righteous if you obey these signs. And God says, forget the signs, listen to me. I used to, I'm old enough, I remember when you went on a trip, you had to have the map. And you, first of all, you had to figure out how to unfold it. And if you ever got it unfolded, you're probably never going to get it folded back correctly. But then you had to figure out if, if you didn't have a pastor that could read the map, you had to figure out how to unfold it to where you could actually see out of your car and follow along on the thing to pick your route. Today, I just go grab my phone, put on my headphones, and it's, it's really interesting because I'll put my headphones on. I'll just put the one in, the, in my left ear and leave my right ear open so Gina and I can talk as we're going down the road. I hit Google Maps, and Miss Google talks to me the whole time, every time. Now, sometimes she gets repetitious, but she's talking in my ear. I don't have to worry about street signs. I just listen to the voice that says... And 100 feet, turn right on such and such a street. And when I get to that street, now my problem is, what's 100 feet? Gauging that distance, because sometimes you're, you know, you're slamming on your brakes because she said 100 feet, and actually it was more like 20 feet, but it was my misgauging that. But if I listen to what she's saying, I don't get lost. And the great thing is, I've got a different app that will actually take into consideration how much traffic there is on the road, and it'll pick a route that looks a little longer, but they're going to stop dead in this road, and if I go over on this road, I'm going to get there quicker. If I just will listen. That's what Paul's saying. I, I don't know how they understood this without having the experience of listening to Google Maps because it's very clear. Listen to the voice in your head that comes from the Word in the book that you put in your head and in your heart and then God can bring it up out of your heart into your head and when you listen to that, you don't have to worry about the signpost. He'll get you where He wants you to go. And that is the righteousness of faith that Paul's trying to, to get us. The first time that happened, we said that positive word, God, we got born again, God recreated us, but everything that, that he wants is an act of salvation. It's the Greek word sozo, and if you could read in the Greek, you would see that almost every time the New Testament talks about healing, it's using the word sozo. It, it, it interprets salvation or healing depending on the context. The same word that got you, got you saved will get you healed. The same word that got you saved will correct you. 
It will, it, will, it will encourage you. It will do everything that you want because it has the essence and the spirit of Christ in it and Christ is the word. So when you get his word, you got him. The mechanics is believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. Doing the mechanics without believing and receiving doesn't count. Can't count the number of times I've gone on cold calls on, on, on evangelism trips and, or evangelism um, calls you want to get people to pray the sinner's prayer. But I know there are people that I prayed with that they said that prayer for one reason. They want to get this maniac off their porch. <laughs> and if I, if I have to say a stupid prayer, I'll say the stupid prayer, and then I'm shutting the door in their face, and I ain't opening it again forever. That's why you get a lot of no solicitation signs on people's doors. It's not to say the sinner's prayer is not something that's necessary but you have to believe it in your heart before the words take effect. That's why New Testament says in many places, don't take the Lord's name in vain. That doesn't mean don't cuss. That means if you're going to call yourself a Christian, be a Christian. And if you're not going to be a Christian, then don't call yourself a Christian. Because then you're just empty. Amen? All right. Let's go. Here, here's an example. And, and in this, we have to remember our goal. Mark 11, familiar scripture. Mark 11, we're going to start in verse 20. This is, um, Jesus is going into the temple every day. This is right before the Passover where he's going to be crucified. He's going into the temple every day to be examined. Part of the Jewish tradition was when you have the lamb that's going to be slain, you have to examine him minutely, and the priest would go over and over looking for a blemish. If they find a blemish, sorry, this lamb doesn't count. And they start with many lambs. And on the surface, they all look perfect. But they would keep looking and keep searching, and they would examine that lamb every day and go through it and go through it and go through it. And finally, when the day of sacrifice, if they had one that had no blemishes, that's our sacrifice. Jesus, they weren't looking for the perfect physical specimen. They were looking for the perfect spiritual specimen. So Jesus went to the temple every day and taught, and he taught everything that he knew. Not necessarily everything that he knew, but he taught all of the major concepts that were necessary for salvation. And they challenged him, and they challenged him, and they challenged him. And after the first two or three days, they didn't challenge him anymore because he kept putting them to shame. And then he just taught, and, and he was teaching to say, here's what I believe, here's what I stand for, find fault with me. And they tried, and they tried, and they tried, and they could not do it, and he was perfect lamb. And then they crucified him. But Mark eleven twenty is one of these times, because if he stayed in, in, in the temple or in that area at night, they would have arrested him, taken him before it was his time. So every evening he would go back out, and he would go to Bethany, and they would sleep in Bethany, and then he'd come back the next day, go into the temple and preach and be examined, and he did this for several days. Well, he's coming back to the temple one morning, that's Mark eleven twenty. It says, Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the root. This was a fig tree that the day before Jesus had gone to get a fig off of it. He didn't have any fruit, and he cursed it. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed is withered away. So Jesus answered them and said to them, Have faith in God. A, an alternate translation, and you will find this in a lot of translations, is have the faith of God. Have the same type of faith that God has. You go back to Genesis, it says that when, when God created the earth, God spoke. 
God said, light be, light was. He spoke things into existence. And then he says, have faith in God. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain. Now, this literally, Jesus is looking at the Mount of, of Olives. And if you go on in and you study out end times, when Jesus physically returns to the earth to start the millennial reign, he is going to descend from the clouds and his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives and that mountain will split. There will be an earthquake and it will split wide open and the, the Mediterranean Sea will flow into the Dead Sea and the Dead Sea will be dead no more. It will bring fish and it will, the salt content will go down and it will, you'll be able to fish out of the Dead Sea the same way they fish out of the... Um, Sea of Galilee, thank you. I knew there was a name for it. And so he's, in, in one way, he's prophesying here, but he's also using this as a metaphor. He's saying, guys, you're going to have conditions in your life. You're going to have mountains. You're going to have things that you look at and you say, this thing's got to move. I can't live with this in my life. And he's saying, if you want to know how, or you want to move this mountain, you're going to have to speak to your mountain. And speak to it and say, be removed and be cast into the sea. But you can't doubt in your heart, but you have to believe that what you say will be done. And then whatever you say, therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. The only way you can believe that you receive is you have to know it's God's will already. You're not asking for something that you're not sure of. That's why the, 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 this prayer, God, I just want your will. Well, if you don't know His will on the matter, you can't have faith on that matter. You can only have faith for what you know is God's will. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane prayed, God, not my will, but your will be done. But that was a prayer of consecration, not a prayer of faith. When Jesus knew God's will, and in that case, He knew God's will, He just did not want to fulfill God's will. His flesh recoiled at what he had to do. But he submitted his flesh and said, I will do it. Even though I don't want to, I recoil at what I'm going to have to go through, but I will do that. That is a prayer of consecration, and we need to do that too. We need to say, God, I don't care the price. I don't care what it costs me to live as a Christian. I'm going to follow you if I go dead broke and have to live in a tent under a bridge. Now the good thing is, Jesus said it to his disciples, no one gives up house or friend or family or any other thing that I won't pay a hundredfold in this life plus eternal life to come. God will, anything you have, he asks you to give up, he will bring it back multiplied. He's not asking us to live a, a deprived life, he's asking us to live a consecrated life, but he's also asking us to live a, 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 a life of faith where we find out, just like we saw over there in, in um, James, abide in His Word, continue in His Word, and don't be a forgetful here. Do the work and then you'll be blessed. You have to believe it in your heart and speak it with your mouth. You have to speak to that mountain. But then He throws in a condition. Verse 25, And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. That's not a totally disconnected thought. He's still talking about your faith. He's still talking having the faith of God. 
And the best example of it, and we're not going to go there, but I'll, I'll, I'll describe it. Luke 9, you can look it up later. This is where they're walking through the Samaritan village, and Jesus, he, he sat, he said, the, oh, uh, King James says, he set his face like flint. I'm heading to Jerusalem because it's time for me to be crucified. And he is going, and he's set to go. He, he, I can't stop anywhere. I'd love to stop and visit, but I got an appointment. And so they come to this Samaritan village and they need a few things and he sends the disciples ahead, go in there and ask them. And they say, well, if he's heading to Jerusalem, we don't want anything to do with him. They rejected him. And so they, they're walking by it and James and John come out. James and John have a clear revelation of their authority in Christ. Because they look at Jesus and they say, you want us to call fire down from heaven like Elijah did and consume them? They're asking Jesus for His will. And if Jesus said, yes, call fire down, they knew, I can call fire down. And those guys are going to be crispy critters. And Jesus looks at them and says, guys, <laughs> you don't know what spirit you're of. Sometimes we get in our heads that it's our job to call fire down from heaven to consume this sinner. And Jesus, I know, I, I, my vision of Jesus and the Father half the time is like the thinker. They just got to be grabbing their heads and thinking, oh, will they ever learn? Part of knowing His will and part of being able to speak His will and foretell what's going to happen is walking in forgiveness with every person at all times, every second of the day, and being realizing that my authority, my authority in Christ only works when I have Christ-like character. Now, that does not mean that I let people run over me. But it does mean that I love everyone and I, I, I want the best for everyone. I'm not calling fire down. I, I remember, oh, Lord, have mercy. Well, I'll, I'll give you one example because this one's not hard to, to, to think, realize how stupid the people are. There's this group, and I'll name them because they're, they're famous. Westboro Baptist Church. And they love to go to military funerals and hold up signs and said, that soldier is dead because God killed him because America is allowing homosexuals in America. And when, it, when I first saw that, I thought, it's a good thing they didn't show up at my brother's funeral because we'd have been having multiple funerals. And then I'd have probably been going to jail. But I've been going to jail with a bunch of buddies because they, that would not have been tolerated in my, in my crowd. They would have been sent off and sent off harshly. Now, that is not, sending them off harshly is not God's way. Although Jesus did look at religious people and called them vipers and, and sons of the devil, He spoke harshly to them. Jesus' hardest words were to religious people that were judgmental of other people. He does not like that. He was always gentle with sinners. He was never gentle with religious people that were always condemning. And I, I, I remember when I've heard prominent people, prominent, well-known Christians. There was several years ago, there was a huge flood along the Mississippi water basin. And, and they were saying, this is God judging America for, for, for America's sin. And I'm thinking, I thought we had rainbows in the sky that said God would never judge us with a flood again. And you're telling me this flood is God's judgment? I'm sorry, you don't know what spirit you're of when you talk like that does not mean that God doesn't correct us, but we need to understand that 
we are not God's instrument of correction ever that I know of. Now that does not mean that a husband and wife can't correct one another. Do it carefully. <laughs> I'm telling, giving you warning. Be gentle. Be nice. Does not mean that pastors don't sometimes correct people in their congregations. It doesn't mean that parents don't correct children. There, there, there is a, a concept under, under God of, of authority and correction with authority. But correction can never be condemning. That's exactly what Jesus is telling James and John in Luke 9. What he had to tell Peter when, when you know, he asked, you know, who, what's everybody say about me? Who does everybody say that I am? And Peter, you know, everybody answered and Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And John, or Jesus looked at him and he said, you're not far from the kingdom of God. And then he started explaining that he had to go to Jerusalem and be crucified. And Peter said, no, 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 uh-uh, stop. Jesus looked at him and said, get thee behind me, Satan. He realized suddenly, I'm not talking to Peter, I'm talking about the, to the Satan, to the Lucifer that's behind and using Peter to speak out Lucifer's will, trying to discourage me from following God's will. So there are times when you, you may have to speak at a person, but you're speaking to the spirit that's motivating them. That is a possibility. But we, if we want our words to work and we want our words to be loving and we want our words to be washing and correcting and, and, and uplifting, we have to stay in the spirit of Christ. Now that brings me to an editorial comment. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get bold here with this one. Because I'm, I'll be honest with you, I'm looking around at our nation and even secular people are realizing that we've taken a a step, maybe a step too far. And for some of the political people in this world, realizing you've taken a step too far is, wow, I'm, 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 I'm wondering, do they really have the brain power to realize that? We need faith for our personal needs. We have to operate in faith. But let me just get real honest with you here. People that are dealing with cancer right now in their life, they don't give a rip about Donald Trump's tweets. People that, that are going through foreclosure, foreclosure or about to lose their house or, or, or lose something, something else financially, they don't pay attention and they really don't care what Maxine Waters or Nancy Pelosi says. We get so caught up in this stupid uh, right-left Democrat-Republican war that's going on and it has gotten to ridiculous propositions and proportions and 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 what just really disgusts me and it does disgust me I, I listen to both sides and and both sides it's like two eight-year-old kids but you started it but you started it I don't care who started it it needs to end we need to enforce the 12th commandment not on the world out there because I'm not judging the world. I'm judging John Roberts right now, me. The 12th commandment, shut thy mouth. Quit griping about what everybody's saying and what everybody's political stance is. I don't care if my dislike for a politician or a political cause causes me to get over into unforgiveness and get over into bitterness and get over into judgmentalism, then I have just short-circuited my faith. 
And when I need a blessing, when I need to believe God for something for my life, God's ears are closed, not because He's closed His ears to me, but because I'm speaking to the wrong person. I'm over in the devil's territory and I think I'm talking to God and I'm talking to Lucifer. Why? Because I got hatred and judgment in my heart and I'm like James and John. You want me to call fire down on them? Now literally they were talking to Jesus, but their attitude, they were bowing their knee at the, at the altar of Lucifer right that moment. And Jesus corrected them and said, Guys, you don't know what spirit you're of right now. The devil's working behind you. And you need to be careful because you're about to yield yourself to a spirit you don't want to yield to. And I'm telling you our political discourse amongst people. I've seen friends, not friends anymore. I've seen families split. They can't have family gatherings anymore. Because they get so mad they want to have fistfights over politics. Who cares? I don't care if you voted for Trump or didn't vote for Trump. I don't care if you voted Democrat or didn't vote Democrat. I don't care what your political views are. I just want peace in our world. You know why God said the blessed will be the peacemakers? Because when there's war in the land, the gospel cannot be preached. During, from, from 1939 through 1945, there were no missionaries going to Europe. You know why? Because people had guns out and they'd shoot you. There was a war on. There are no missionaries in Syria today. There are no missionaries in, in, in a lot of countries today because there's an active war going on. You get shot no matter who you are. You put your head up, they're shooting you because they don't know whether you're friend or foe, but I'm not taking the chance. And when we have a war amongst ourselves, we live in the United States of America. And we're not manifesting the united very much. That doesn't mean you, have to, you can't have an opinion, but do you really think the world's, world needs your opinion? They really don't. I've got opinions on everything. But who cares? Some of them are informed. Some of them are uninformed. The informed ones still aren't very good if my spirit behind my informed opinion is with the wrong spirit. It, 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 it comes down to what is the spirit that's manifesting through my words. And I, I've used as examples interpersonal relationships, especially husband and wife, parents to children, extended family, but we need to extend it out even farther to, let me, and this is a, an oxymoron, but to your Facebook friends. Quit getting mad. I, I've got a, a nephew that he just likes to stir up the pot. And he'll get people on there, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm talking left and right. They're calling each other vile names. Vile. Insults. Nothing but insults. And I'm thinking, ain't nobody listening to this. For certainly, fella A is not having an influence on fella B, and fella B is not having an influence on fella A because they're both idiots, and they both think each other's idiots. So why? Who cares? Just quit yelling. First rule of holes, when you find yourself in one, quit digging. Well, we need to because we are citizens of the United States and I'm, believe me, I am grateful to have been born in this country. But even before being a citizen of the United States of America, I'm a citizen of heaven.
I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Libertarian. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. I may belong to a political party, and me personally, I left them all behind. Because none of them represent me. I don't like any of them. That's just my opinion. I'll share it whether you want it or not. I just, the politics is, it's just, I feel like every time I get involved in politics, I want to go home and take a shower. It's like I feel dirty. And that's not, that doesn't mean every politician's a crook or every politician is evil. But we do need to get past the feeling that if somebody disagrees with me politically, that somehow they are evil. They may just be wrong. They may just be wrong and stupid. Or they may be right and I'm wrong and stupid. I don't know. Only God knows and I'm not Him. So I need to start manifesting the kingdom of heaven because all of my answers and my purpose comes from heaven, not Washington, not the governor's mansion, not the mayor's office. I'm not subject. Now I'm subject to the laws of Washington and the governor's mansion and the mayor's office. IMPD stops me out here and they say, stop. If you got a brain, you will stop and you will comply what the man says or the woman says because they got a big gun on their hip and they will make you do what they want you to do. And if they can't, they'll call enough people and eventually they'll enough of them will pile on you and you will comply. Better to just comply at the first word rather than having a thousand big, heavy, sweaty guys pile on you and make you comply. But other than that, I have to listen to heaven and I want to manifest the spirit of Christ in me and my world. Then I can be effective. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.